Lord, would you would you give us yourself now? Simply meet us and just let us uh, be with you. Thank you, Lord. So, since we've been in a survey and polling kind of a mood lately, here's a quick one. How many of you ever seen the bumper sticker or the T-shirt or whatever that says, Jesus is coming, look busy? Using our minds, 
says that Jen just read a few minutes ago, what Jesus says here actually begins two chapters earlier. It begins when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, his triumphal entry. And then the people are expecting great things and he goes into the temple and he, you know, cast out the, the folks who are changing money. It's not that they're changing money, it's that they're doing it in a way that's against how God wanted the poor to be taken care of. So he, you know, he, he deals with that. He makes a lot of waves. The people are all excited. And so those who are against him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they start saying, you know, we're going to have to get rid of him. That's it. We're just going to have to get rid of him. So then there begins this period of, of public back and forth where the Pharisees and the Sadducees are trying to trap him. And he is doing what he always did, which is when they try to trap him and corner him, he turns it around and uses it as an opportunity to proclaim bigger and better stuff. So that happens for a while. And we come in after basically two chapters of this. And as this happens, Jesus, in, in the first one, he has one of his bluntest moments. He, the Sadducees ask him a, a trick question about the resurrection, and he says back to them, your problem is that you don't have enough faith in God. He says, you do not know his power because you don't believe in resurrection. You don't have a big enough story for what God is doing. And then he says to them, you are quite wrong. One of his bluntest moments, you are quite wrong. So Jesus is saying to them, you're all hung up on this stuff that is just too small. The story is bigger. So after they try to trap him, then he asks them a riddle. And it's an incarnation riddle. How can, basically, how can I be in time and beyond time both? And they go, don't know. Uh-oh. So then he turns to his followers, and for the first of several times, he says to them, beware. Keep a watch. The story is bigger than you know or they know. Keep the plot. Hold on. Keep a watch and beware. And then come two unique moments. Two moments that we aren't told anywhere else in the Gospels that this thing happens. And this thing is in the first one of them is in the temple. It's the lovely moment where Jesus sits opposite the donation box and he watches. Both of these moments are moments where we're told Jesus sat opposite and he watched. Mark's the only one who says this. He's the only one who uses this language. And these are the only two times he uses it. So in Mark's mind, the two that we're going to look at go together. And they tell us something that helps us to sort out. I don't know what that was. That was fun. <laughs> he tells us something that helps us to sort out what Jesus is doing. All right. So here we go. This is where we're going to, this is where we're going to settle in. So the first one he's watching, he sits opposite the collection box and he watches people put stuff in. And this is the lovely famous moment where the, the dear older woman gives all that she has and the disciples are like, and Jesus said, no, 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 you don't get it. You know, this, this dear woman gave more than anybody, right? Because he's reflected on what's going on and he's seeing a larger story. So the disciples go, hmm, okay. And they get up and they walk out of the temple 
And one of the disciples, just overcome with the festival, overcome with the festivities, overcome with the beautiful temple and all this stuff, you know, one of them says to Jesus, wow, Jesus, isn't this cool? Look at this big, beautiful temple. This is so awesome, isn't it? I get to walk around here with you. Public spaces, right? Ever been on the mall in Washington, D.C.? My first church was inside the the Beltway. First church I I served in was inside the Beltway. So if I was going to D.C. to meet somebody, I'd go early, I'd get off the Metro at Smithsonian, and I'd get up and I'd be like, oh my word, I can just walk through the art museum on the way to my meeting. It's free, Smithsonian. All these public spaces. It's been said that that downtown D.C., it's been said, who knows, is the heaviest per square inch city in the world because there's all this granite and all this marble, right? This is the way these things work. They build these buildings to convey authority, to impress people. So one of the disciples is duly impressed. And he says, wow, Jesus, isn't this great? And I get to walk around here with you, and you're making all these waves and all this stuff. And Jesus is just like, oh, dude. He said, do you, you know, he's like, whoa, no, 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 no. He said, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Ominous, Right. And then he goes, and he sits opposite the temple. All right? We covered a lot of ground, and we're not covering it in great specifics because it's too much. But it actually, actually, we need this. We need it. So are, are we okay? Yeah. Are, I mean, let me know if you're lost, because we've covered a lot. I'm not telling you the thing. Right? So now he sits opposite the temple. They're outside. They're on a hill. They're looking over at the temple. And you get it. It's like Mark is a movie director. Right? And he's taken us through all these tight scenes and all this emotional conflict. And now we pull out and it feels ominous. And we see Jesus looking over there at that thing. And you know, hmm, and the background music tells you, hmm, something ominous. And that's the moment that Mark is setting up. So he sits there. Peter, James, John, and Andrew come and they ask him privately. Tell us about this stuff that you've said. I mean, this is crazy, right? And Jesus says, be careful, watch out, watch, be aware that nobody leads you astray. Because a lot of people come in my name saying, I'm him, and they'll lead many astray. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. So all the people you know who are saying, oh, it's the end time. See, there's wars and rumors of wars. Jesus told us not to be alarmed. So it's like the first thing for him is like, hey, calm down. And really, calm down. Jesus himself said, calm down. So calm down. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And they're like, it's the end. Like, no, it's not. He said it's not the end. It's crazy, right? I'm sorry. It's it's surprising. Because it's exactly the opposite of what he says. Right? And then he says, these are but the beginnings of birth pains. So, yes, Jesus, speaking apocalyptically, talks about all these kinds of things, but he actually says, react to them oppositely of how we may have experienced some of our dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus reacting to them. True? Yep. Good. Glad you're still with me. So, let's take three things then. Let's take three things. Do I actually believe that Jesus is going to return and sort things out? I do. I actually believe it. It's hope for me. Take it away, and what are we with? What are we left with? We're left with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, 
if Jesus did not rise from the dead, this is, if you will, the extension of the rising from the dead. If he didn't rise from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. I want to say you can take that same idea and put it on this too. If Jesus is not planning to return, then we are of all people most to be pitied. To hope in Jesus. Because where does it all go? How does it all sort out? So, when, question number one, when are the end times? When are they? I can tell you with absolute confidence when the end times are. Dennis doesn't believe me. I can. Does anyone here want to venture when the end times began? The day of Pentecost. We are in the end times. And we've been in the end times ever since the day of Pentecost. The ascension, the day of Pentecost, the end times began after that. All these things that happened, they are but the beginnings of birth pains. C.S. Lewis did not believe that there's any discernible pattern to history. Right? Scholar of the ancient world, scholar of the medieval world. I mean, if anybody had a big picture lens. But he didn't believe that history is always getting better. Or history is always getting worse. Or history goes in cycles. He just believed that things happen. And, and they do. And they lead to other things. And it's, you know, as far as we can tell, that's all, that's what it is. Now, I have to confess, when I first learned that about him, I was really disturbed by this. I felt happier if I had a pattern. I'd love to have a pattern, right? I feel like I can understand it. But he's like, nah, there's no pattern. Things just happen. They happen. That's what, what Lewis thought. Jesus said, when these things happen, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and all the rest, these are but the beginning of birth pains. So no one has any idea how long it's going to go. Jesus said that the gospel would have to be proclaimed. Major lens for the scriptures. Kingdom of God versus the empires of the world. The way that humans want to order life in ways that they feel secure and confident and put themselves and their kind on top. Humans have done it and are still doing it. We look at it and we go, well, of course I'd like to feel secure. Well, it's natural to feel like my kind's on top. Well, if, we, if we're people who are, you know, affected by sin, then yes, it is natural, but that's in that sense, it's a problem. Jesus is saying, these are the beginnings of birth pains because I'm a seed. I'm a seed that's going to go into the earth dead. I'm going to grow up, burst forth alive. I'm going to go up to heaven. I'm going to send my spirit down. My people are going to carry on my thing. And someday it's going to come back as full fruit. And that is going to make ripples. And it's going to make ripples and ripples and ripples and ripples. Because it's not natural in that sense. It's different. It's people called to live in self-giving love. What if being created in the image of God means primarily being, being beings who are called to live in self-giving love? Self-sacrificial love. What if that's what's created in the image of God means? It's what God did even in creating. It's what God did in the cross. It's who God is. We all assume that we know who God is, and we sort of go, does Jesus fit? The truth of the matter is, if it weren't for Jesus, good, good guessing, guys. I mean, come on. You know, we can figure out from Romans 1, we're told we can figure out that God is big and has power, and that's about it. It works the other way around. 
The reason we know anything about who God is is because of Jesus. And that's self-giving love. So his way is so different. It's meant to make waves. It's meant to be effervescent and cause ripples and cause bubbles and all the rest. Second thing, I often find that people, if they may not have the followers of Jesus, people in church, they may not have the, uh, the courage to, to own it, but the truth is we, we don't like this whole topic. We don't like this topic of Jesus coming back because it feels scary. And, we, and, and, and you know, really we're like, I don't know if this even feels like Jesus. Jesus surprised everyone in some way in his incarnation, did he not? He surprised everyone in some way. He was more than, different than, beautifuler than, kinder than, gentler than, more exasperating than people expected in his incarnation. He's going to do the same thing in his return. He's going to do the same thing. It's going to be something that he can handle and he can sort out and whatever it is, it'll be fine. It'll be more than fine. It'll be wondrous and glory us and fantastic. And if this scares us, then he's surprising us already. Because he told us to calm down. And it's okay, even though it may not be fun. We think this is something to fear. The earliest followers of Jesus found in this something to cheer for. We think this is something to fear. There have been significant movements. This is why Jesus is coming, look busy, happens as a slogan. People making fun of the whole idea. The whole reason it happens is because there have been too many movements and voices and attitudes in the American church in general over the years where this has been the escape valve clause. We don't have to worry about the environment. We don't have to worry about racial justice. We don't have to worry about the poor, right? Because Jesus is coming in the end and all that's going to go away and it doesn't matter anyway. The earliest followers of Jesus understood this exactly the oppositely, if that's a word. They understood it as in we are now free to die for, for love. We are free to give ourselves in service. We are free to act for justice because we know how the story ends. And we're excited about it. So instead of being afraid of it, they're like, bring it. Come on, Jesus, come back. Come back, and in the meantime, I'm free. I'm free to live free in this thing, this person I am called to be. Third one, sometimes I find folks are just, we're just sort of embarrassed by this. We just sort of wish this weren't sticking on the story. Like, we can talk a lot of very true and wonderful and appropriate talk about how beautiful Jesus' birth was, about Jesus' life, you know, I have no problem telling people, yeah, I believe Jesus was human and God. I'm so excited about that. I don't care what you think about me. You can think I'm an idiot. Who cares? I'm, I mean, this is, you got something more beautiful? No, I know you don't. So I'm standing on this. Right? Jesus' cross, his resurrection, beautiful, wonderful. This piece, nah, a little harder to talk about. Easy to get made fun of. You're waiting for that. Oh, my word. Right? Anybody ever felt that? Yeah? 
just like, why does it have to be this way? Why couldn't it have been some other way? Strictly speaking, I don't know the answer. I do know this, though. When Jesus used the word birth pains, this is at the beginning of birth pains, same root word shows up in Romans 8, 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And this is where we have been similar to the Sadducees, too often, not as bad, but we have made it all too small. If it's an escape valve, we've made it too small. If it's an escape valve, Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, we are wrong because the story is bigger than that and better than that and more beautiful than that, and I'm doing more than that. So last week, forgive me, last week I, I got off my notes and I got lost, and I started talking about how I'm reading Hans Urs von Balthasar, who you know I love, reading Maximus the Confessor, the 6th century philosopher monk. Well, that was supposed to have been this week, not last week, but it popped in my head when I was lost. So I started talking about it last week, so I kind of spoiled it. But anyway, so in 1941, Hans Urs von Balthasar, he's been arguably been the most cultured man in Europe in the 20th century. Born in Lucerne, Switzerland, major Catholic philosopher, theologian. In 1941, when he's sitting in Switzerland and and he's watched the Great War, and now he's watching World War II, and he's watching the earth go crazy, and everything just get blown to bits, and the Germans have discovered fission in 1938. So everyone's nervous about what happens if they make a bomb. So von Balthasar is trying to respond to all this. So he discovers, he recovers this guy Maximus that had gotten lost. I mean, have you, who's ever heard of him, right? Well, you don't count. You wouldn't have heard of him. <laughs> You've heard of all of them, right? If you're not someone like Toby who reads in this stuff, then you haven't heard of him. Right? I told Ian I was reading about Maximus, and Ian's like, you're reading a book about the horse in Tangle? <laughs> I mean, it is a funny name, but I trusted not the name his mother gave him. But the, the thing that Maximus does, and the reason von Balthasar recovers him at a moment when the world could possibly, for the first time, be ended by humans, right? You get the size of the moment. The reason it's Maximus he recovers instead of somebody else is because Maximus resolves for the first time, really, how it is that God's creation can be good without it containing God in itself, but that God can still be committed to it and in relationship with it in such a way that his having done it, in some sense, requires it in order for God to be the fullness of who he was having created. If that's warping your head, yeah, it's a head warper. It is. But Maximus finds the solution to those unanswerable Greek philosophical classic questions in the person of Jesus Christ because he is fully human, who is joined together in perfect simplicity, unconfused with the Logos, God, in one person, two natures in one person. And Maximus takes what the councils of the early church have worked out to try to figure out how to talk about who Jesus is. And he says it, it, it means then that the whole of all of it is not something that God is going to destroy. It's something that God is going to rescue and bring into himself and divinize without becoming pantheistic. Maximus is the one who works this out. And the hope then becomes 
on a whole different scale. So what's it going to look like for Jesus to come back? I don't know. And I don't need to know. I can't wait. It's going to be different. But because he is fully divine with all of being itself in himself, and because he's fully human without any damage or, or, or sin or any kind of warping of that, when he comes back, it will be natural in a sense. Even as it has ripples beyond anything we could ever possibly imagine. Okay, thank you. So thanks for staying with me. It's a bit of a long ramble through some big stuff. The point, I hope somewhere in it you can find hope. That's the point. So try to find hope. Jesus tells us he's coming back. And that is the single best reason to believe. Think about his character. Did he trick anyone? Was he a charlatan? Did he lie? Was he not honest with his followers, even to the point of disturbing them? The reason we hold on to this, friends, is because he told us he would. He promised us he would. We don't know how, but we know who. And that is what we need. Let's pray. Lord, it sounds silly, but I just want to thank you that when we think about your return, look busy is not what we're supposed to do. Rejoice is what we're supposed to do. Anticipate, expect. into your image.